What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, Brenda. Hey. So what do you know about Abner Mares? Absolutely nothing. Well, I didn't know anything either until recently when I checked out Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares. So now I know that Mares is a world champion boxer. He represented Mexico in the Olympics. He recently became a U.S. citizen. He's now doing boxing commentary on Showtime, and he is a big-time family man. So on the show... You'll hear from Abner, you'll hear from his family, fellow athletes, other people who made him the boxer and the man that he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing today, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, and the intersection of sport, music, culture, and family. And I mean, this is pretty cool. On the second episode, it's Abner talking to LL Cool J about the effect of his song, Mama Said Knock You Out, in the boxing world. So, I mean, that's, that's good content. So listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Que bueno. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Jessica Luther, and today I'm joined by writer, editor, and cultural critic Latreya Graham. She lives in South Carolina. I'm a longtime fan of Latreya's gorgeous writing, and I encourage you to seek out her words anywhere you can find them. In today's interview, we talk about two of her pieces for Outside Magazine. The first was published on May 1st, 2018, and is titled, We're Here, You Just Don't See Us. And the follow-up was published about a month ago, on September 21st, 2020, and is titled, Out There, Nobody Can Hear You Scream. Let's get into it. I'm Latreya Graham, and I'm a freelance writer. So in an interview earlier this year, you said, quote, my work primarily revolves around the body and the tensions and or stressors on it from the environment, other people or policies put in place. Can you tell us more about this? I'm so interested in the body as a way to think about the world. So like, why is this particular lens important to you? It's so important to me because it's something that I wrestle with that I know intimately in some ways, and that I very much fight with privately. Um, And I know it's something that everyone has an opinion about because everybody has one, right? Not everyone has a house or a car or some of these other material possessions to sort of move, you know, move beyond. But it's like, if you can start with that, everyone knows what it's like to have hunger or to have thirst, right? Or to have a lot of these emotions. So it's like, how do we move these parts around and things that resonate with people come from the fact that they can identify some of these very basic essential things. And so how can I use that to talk about some of the major anxieties that we have in the moment? So that's why I always, I tend to return to the body. Naturalists get a little frustrated with me on that because they're like, it should be about the animals or about the environment or about nature and it shouldn't always be human centered. But it's like, if I can start there with getting people to care um, from this perspective, then we can continue to branch out and um, extend the conversation. Hmm. I just find that so interesting. On September 21st, 
this year, Outside Magazine published a piece by you titled Out There, Nobody Can Hear You Scream. This was your response follow along to a piece you wrote for Outside in 2018 titled We're Here, You Just Don't See Us. The latter piece was about the misconception that black people do not love the woods and wild places, but you deeply love them. It's really clear in your writing that this is true. When and how did you fall in love with the outdoors? I mean, I can't say from birth because obviously you don't remember that far back. But I mean, truly in childhood, you know, like my parents have always fished and things like that. And like some of my first memories are standing on you know, a riverbank with my dad with like a fishing pole and things like that. Um, and learning that you can get things that you can't see from a river. Uh, you know, so a lot of that, and it's, it's almost like mystical. We think about miracles and all of that other stuff, but like the idea that something exists that you can't see and you can grasp onto it. Um, like that is just one of those sort of indelible moments growing up. But um, because my family's always lived very close to the land, um, you know, always gardening, always farming, um, there's always been this tether to it. So I, I always knew about it. I always understood its purpose, but I don't think I fell in love with it really until I left it um, and went off to college, right? And went to Dartmouth, which is in New Hampshire. I'm from South Carolina. Um, and, you know, our, our mountains, you know, peak out at like 3,000, you know, 3,208 is Caesar's head. That's where I was this weekend. Um, you know, where you go to Mount Washington in New Hampshire and you deal with a whole different climate. And I realized like that difference. That's like a mountain. Yeah. It's like, it's a true mountain. <laughs> yeah. Like we have Mount Mitchell here and that's cool and everything, but it's like that exposed rock face and the like intimidation and the way the trees grow. You don't realize that what you have is precious until you see something different. Um, and that made me really appreciate the landscapes when I would come home, right? Um, especially up there, the cold, everything is buried in snow, you know, six months out of the year, which is very, very different um, from here. I, I live in the foothills of the mountains because like Asheville technically has mountains. Um, it's still not the same, but, you know, we get a little bit of snow, a little bit of ice. But like here we're talking about, you know, 10 feet of snowfall a year, like a very different sort of world. Um, and I was like, I really do miss home and not just the hospitality part of it, but just the green, like the cathedral of green that exists around my house. We don't have the views. Um, we don't have those like Instagram moments, but we have this really rich sort of Piedmont rainforest thing going on. Um, you know, that I, I love from, March, April through, we still have, our leaves here have not turned. So through like mid-October, November, um, we'll have, and it's just like, you can, it, it smells almost like that fresh cut grass thing that people really adore. It's like stepping into that all the time. Um, and you don't know that you miss that scent or you miss that color and all that until you go somewhere else. Um, and then you realize not everybody has this, how do I share what I have, what I know, what I love. That was a beautiful answer. Cathedral of Green. That immediately made me think my mom for many years lived in Atlanta and she lived in this house that like there was a huge, not a valley, like that's too big, but just a like it was too dangerous. Like you didn't like go down into it or anything, but it was covered in kudzu. And I just remember... I mean, I understood that kudzu was like not supposed to be there. It was was bad that it was so invasive, I guess. Right, but I just right. Cathedral of Green is very much what I think of when you say those words. That's lovely. 
Um, so what do you love to do outdoors? Are you a hiker? Do you go birding? Do you camp? I'm not a huge outdoors person, so I want to hear what it is that you love doing outside. Yeah, I I will try it all. And I am like still extending my experiences. So I'd say that I love to wander mostly because like here you don't think about elevation. Like people think about hiking and you think about hiking a mountain, right? Whereas I live in sort of this, it's hilly, but it's not mountainous. Like the, the peaks and valleys don't make you think hiking. Hiking is truly just wandering. And sometimes I don't know where I'm going to go or what direction I take. So I'm just going to, I wander. A lot of times and I do that a lot with especially like my state parks and things here where I have some idea of what the trails are I just kind of meander throughout and think and I like you know will sit next to a creek and write for a little bit and things like that um, I've recently gotten into water sports some so I started kayaking that is something that I did not do um, growing up um, we had a couple of relatives that had boats and you know would go out on like Greenwood or something to go fishing but like the idea of just recreational boating or being out just to be out um, is fairly new and no one in my family does that. So when I have the opportunity to sort of up my skills, um, I go out and I take a lesson. I've done stand-up paddle boarding, which was like slightly terrifying on the Tennessee River. Whoa. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I've written about that and like what it was like to like fail at it the first time. Cause I was like, no, everything's going to be cool. And I'm going to stand up on the board and it's going to be amazing. And I was like, nope, nope. I'm going to sit here on my butt and just kind of like, cruise down but going back and doing it again um you know learning how to dive there's a story that I want to do so I have to like get comfortable underwater which is a, a new thing and like this history of water for African Americans is a whole big deep thing because obviously segregated pools and not being able to learn how to swim so like my family signed us up my brother and I know how to swim my parents did not and they did not want water to have that type of power over us so they signed us up at the YMCA and we went through all of the swim lessons and all of that stuff. Um, so we're capable and actually to graduate Dartmouth, you have to take a swim. It is one of like maybe three or four schools in the country um, where you have to be able to swim a um, couple hundred yards why? in order to graduate. Do you know, do you know why that's a thing? It sort of came out of, and I have to double check on this, but I looked at one point because most schools dropped it. A lot of places had it. And it sort of came out of like military academies, I think, okay. and some of the physical okay. education requirements with those huh. things. Um, but Dartmouth still keeps it. Fascinating. Two weeks before graduation, so many people are in the pool trying to like doggy paddle their way through like hundreds of yards in order to graduate. <laughs> but yeah, I realized I meandered a little bit there. But trying different water sports and, and things like that, you know, canoeing, just stuff that I didn't have the chance to do growing up. You know, wandering and hiking is fairly inexpensive, but some of these other things take more gear. Um, I I laugh because my dad was a birder in the sense that he had great eyesight and like lots of patience. And I don't have great eyesight and I have zero patience. And so I am trying to make myself, especially during the pandemic, um, sit still, meditate, observe, and like listen because like my ears are much better than my eyes um, and identify birds that way. So I don't think of myself in some ways as a traditional birder. I love going out with them and learning and observing because they the things that they know, like just it blows my mind and I love it, but it's it's not what I would consider home. I'm I'm a newbie in it. I'll say that. I love snowshoeing. I've had the chance to do it a couple of times, like going out to Colorado. So, I mean, I will try just about anything other than climbing. And that's just because I don't think that I have the like core for it yet. But eventually I'm coming for it. Um, 
you know, there was a plus size mountaineering, obviously it was canceled because of the pandemic, but um, a plus size mountaineering course that I was like that, I want to take that, right? Like, so I'm, I'm willing to give it all a shot because you don't know what you're missing if you never try it. And I try to be fearless is the wrong word. Um, I try to be curious. I love that. Maybe you'll inspire me to be more curious outside. Um, can you tell me about your favorite wild place? Like, will you paint me a picture of it? Oh, man. Okay. I have a couple that have my heart. That's going to be the hardest part of this is not even describing it. It's like choosing the right one. <laughs> um, okay. So Hunting Island State Park um, in Beaufort, South Carolina. And I love this place because, number one, your cell phone does not work the best um and you drive through the gates and you you pay your admission and they're just these huge palmettos it looks like you've driven into jurassic park and it feels ancient and it's vibrant and it's lush and borderline tropical um with everything that is there because it's so close to sea level you have these um, kind of swampy, boggy water places. And you're like, oh yes, I can totally see life crawling out of this and moving forward. But it is just, if heaven does not look like that place, I might not go. Like it is just, it is warm. Oh, and the water, the water is incredible um, and light colored beaches. There's usually no one there. I like to go um, sort of in the shoulder seasons. I don't go much during the summer. And I also go very, very early um, to watch the sunrise somewhere like that. It's just, there's, there's nowhere else that I've found. And this is both traveling nationally and internationally that feels quite like that spot. Um, there's the potential to be at peace out there. So running on the beach is not real sexy though. I, that's not my skill set. Um, but just to go and take a blanket and just like think about seeing out over the marsh and like out into the ocean is just like, I didn't grow up with the ocean very much. And so it's, it connects you to so many, so many parts or so many elements that you don't think about every day when you're out there. That sounds amazing. Yeah. You hear the John Williams, like you can almost hear the Jurassic Park theme whenever you like go underneath that first set of trees, like into the canopy. And it's just, Ah, uh, uh. yeah, I want to go there. I'll have to get over to the East Coast again. Yes, please. Um, Welcome. Yeah. All right. So in We're Here, You Just Don't See Us back in 2018, you wrote, quote, I would not experience real backcountry wilderness, the kind of places outside celebrates until I went off to Dartmouth in 2004. That's also when I started learning about the various things that black people don't do. What are some of those various things and how did you learn them? Yeah, um, because I had an interest in them and like people would just kind of look at me like, what? Like opera was one of them. There was a class on American opera that I took with Stephen Swain my freshman year. And I think there might have been like one other black person in it. And it was like freshman seminar. So every freshman had to take something. Um, and Dartmouth does not have that many black people, but there would have been, I don't know, 120 of us as freshmen. And the fact that there's like maybe two of us in this class, right? Um, you know, there's a little bit of that. And it, it comes out of the fact that I was a clarinetist and had gone to, you know, school for it and trained in that. Um, and there are no black people in that either um, in some ways. But it was it was very much like the world that I was in here, like what I knew 
was what I knew. And I just didn't have that, that larger regional context or racial context for it um, in some ways. And so, you know, getting there and it's like, I know in the piece, I'm like, black people don't eat tofu, right? Like that, that is like considered to be one of the things, which is not true. Like there's this huge, like look at Tabitha Brown and like the TikTok vegan movement. There's like black veganism has always been a thing. And my family has been very vegetable based because we're farmers um, and meat can be expensive to grow and kill and process and all of that stuff. So it's very much like it's a punchline, but like part of it is, you know, you don't see many black people on the trail. So black people don't camp you know, black people didn't swim, you know, so like water sports, like sailing. Oh my God. Like if you saw another black person on a sailing team or something like that, you know, you look, and if you look at like the statistics, even for the AT and hiking, the number of black hikers that get to do that, some of it is cost, some of it is time. There are lots of reasons that they don't do it, but like the makeup is really, really small, but it's just like that old like stereotype. There is a little bit of truth to it, but there's historical reason for it. But yeah, it, it's one of those things that it's always seen as sort of being closer to whiteness or trying to be white to do certain things. Okay, so even though sports had a break, your business didn't. Well, it's true. Our podcast did not have a break, right? Even when sports were off. Right, Jess? Yeah, we just kept going. <laughs> kept going with the newsletter, <laughs> kept going with the podcast. We had to keep moving, and that made hiring more important than ever. And thank goodness Indeed is indeed here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. This would have been super helpful as we've been um, kind of hiring producers to burn it all down. I've been getting some help with the Power Plays newsletter and really realizing how stressful hiring can be. <laughs> like, I don't know that I fully understood before, especially in these times when you can't meet people face to face, really everything needs to be done digitally. So the great thing about Indeed is that you only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts, which I love. Right now, Indeed is offering Burn It All Down listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post which means more quality candidates will see it fast. That is amazing. So you want to try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is Indeed. (laughs) Their best offer available anywhere. (laughs) Bren, what's that address? What is it? What is it? Indeed.com slash blue wire. Now you repeat it. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Very good. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st, 2020. I'm sorry. I didn't have it up. I told you to stay with me. I told you to stay with me. I know. I was trying. I was trying. (laughs) I know. I was like, that was one of those where I was like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't get called on. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Mine is, oh, fuck. I knew that I would be the worst at this, right? All right. Don't laugh. That's the worst way to prep me. Now I'm going to try not to laugh. Tell me not to laugh. That makes me want to laugh just because you said that. Okay. Okay. As an historian, I'm really bad at predicting the future. So I rarely bet, to be honest. I'm better at, you know, 
thinking about things that have already happened. Do either of you bet? I do not. I am a coward and I am really worried about losing. So I, I, I don't do it. I've done the slots and stuff and played a little bit of cards like in Vegas and it did not go well. It did not go well. But no, I do not bet on sports because I have enough emotions already. Yeah, in Vegas, I just tried to like look like I was playing the slots enough to get the free drinks. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But now I don't have to go to Vegas because there's bet online. Uh, whether it's games, spreads, and totals to team players and coaching props, bet online gives you a lot of options to wager more than anywhere else. And you can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures anytime that you want. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Also, don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. And maybe if you can figure it out, you can let me know what it really means to have an over under. So you wrote, we're here, you just don't see us back in 2018, which again is about the misconception or the racist idea that black people don't do things outside. Um, What happened after you published it? What was the response to that piece like for you? So that was one of the first uh, like major pieces that I, I had sort of major bylines, right? Like print bylines for sure. And it sort of opened up this this world where people were like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Like, I got a lot of emails that way. And they were like, thanks for bringing this to my attention. I've never considered this or looked at these statistics. Because one of the things I talk about in there is like how, you know, people of color specifically, it's broken down also by race in between, wondering whether or not these national parks are safe, right? I was like, people were not thinking about safety right then. They're not thinking about the limits of geography Um, and things like that. So the reception to that, um, before the reception to this 2020 piece, I would have been like, that was a little overwhelming and sort of hard to grasp. But now I have a whole different sense of relativity (laughs) in some ways um, for what overwhelming can be. But, you know, so many specifically people of color that loved nature or were curious about nature, um, you know, were like, thank you for putting our experience in um, a mainstream magazine you know, they felt seen, they felt heard, right? They had some desire to try to get outside. And I very much was not really embarrassed by this, but hesitant by this for like my face to take up a whole page in a magazine uh, because I'm like this slightly shy, reclusive writer. I'm just kind of like, no, um, we're good. Just, but like it mattered to people, right? To see, you know, my big nose and thick lips and cornrows, you know, and all of that stuff standing in this field. Um, And so, you know, I realized that like my body and like my, the imagery that goes along with these things that I have to say, um, matters. Um, but it also, a lot of people that were inspired by what I had to say, or wanted to take a chance on some of these recreational experiences that they historically had not had, or had not had with their families or with a Girl Scout troop or any of these things, um, that, you know, a lot of them wrote me wanting to know where to go or how to, um, navigate some of those spaces and like what to do because they knew safety. I talked about safety and sort of the lack of safety or the structure of um, 
racism in some of these places. I don't shy away from it. I don't dive into it like I do in this 2020 piece. But they were like, how do I, I navigate something that may happen? And that was the harder thing to try to figure out. Yeah, which brings us to this 2020 piece, which is out there. And while I know this might seem like an obvious question on some level because like gestures at everything but why did you write this piece now and why did it take two years from we're here yeah um I realized I had something to say and it bugged me to the point that I could not sleep it was it was one of those like it's really hard and you can't make a living this way as an artist but a lot of the things that I write about are things that I'm either curious about or that bug me to the point that I have to like write them out. And that was the place that I got to with this because it it felt like, and I often write about things that I'm ashamed of or frustrated by. And I call myself a coward in this piece. Like I am not like, I am unmerciful to myself as I am to white supremacy and this situation that people of color find themselves in, specifically black people um, in this country And it's like, I've ignored this thing for so long and I can't because it's not fair both to like the people that need hope or, you know, found some hope in what I had to say. And I think that there is something to be said overall for the fact that what is happening now in our country is not our fault, even though we're trying to change it. Um, Because that's something that we saw a lot with George Floyd. They were like, oh, if he hadn't used the counterfeit $20 bill. Oh, if, you know, Breonna Taylor hadn't been like sleeping in her apartment or, you know, we have all of these things happening in this summer. And I just saw some of it in the face of my fellow Black explorers, you know, sometimes on Instagram, sometimes in real life and the things that they were struggling with. And it's like, I have seen this historically from my vantage point as a Southerner. Um, right. And a lot of these things are just starting to pop off with Trayvon Martin and then Mike Brown. Right. Like later. But we've had that in this state for a long time. Right. And like those tensions and those reservations have been living in my body ever since I learned about them. Like George Stinney Jr., the 14 year old that they electrocuted back in, I think that was the 1920s, who weighed like 90 pounds. They killed him anyway. It is very much one of those um, things that like my area has not shied from the brutality in some ways. Um, And like when I go for runs five miles from here, when emancipated slaves went to go vote for the first time, what will eventually become the Klan, but sort of the Southern insurrection, um, they find these people and they cut their ears off and whip them and burn down their houses. And I've run past that place, right? Like I, I know this terror and this violence with an intimacy that most people shy away from, you know, this really, really detailed, you know, hang a man, cut his fingers off for souvenirs type of um, reality that some people are just waking up to. And so this was my way of saying to fellow explorers, here's what I've seen and here's what I know to be true. And I say that to my friends all the time when they're like, you know, struggling with something. And I was like, I can't tell you what to do, but here's what I know to be true. Here are the facts and you have to make your own decision. Um, And so some of this was that there's no absolution for me. I'm still trying to figure out 
um, you know, how to answer some of these questions. And I'm still grappling with these things. But like, here's what I know to be true. Here are the risks. And here's why I think it's worth it. You have to make the rest of those decisions on your own. But like, this is what I've lived. This is what I've documented. And these are the things that I know. There were a hundred footnotes for this essay. <laughs> and it's only 6,000 words. But yeah, so it, it's one of those that like, I needed to make sure that the facts were really facts. Um, you know, even when I'm alluding to something, I need everything to be so truth laden that you can't pull. It's not like Jenga. You can't pull one block and the whole thing fall down. Um, and so I tried to figure out how to um, I tried to figure out how to give someone what I know in order to help them survive. I really want to encourage everyone listening to go read both of these essays. You should read everything that you write because you're one of the most beautiful writers that I know. But um, I hope that people supplement this interview by actually reading all thousands of those words <laughs> that you have written. Um, I did want to ask about one specific thing at the end of Out There. You list the names of some organizations that you wrote, quote, have our backs. Will you tell us about one or two of those? So one that like everyone is familiar with, at least sort of organizationally, is Outdoor Afro. But what people don't understand is like they often do meetups um, and so that you can have people to hike with and you don't have to be on your own all the time. I tend to be um, a solo traveler just because one I'm on the road four to six months out of the year like for work and so you know if I'm passing a national park I'm like ooh, I have to go there and I have to go there today and that means I'm going by myself um you know but I know not everybody's comfortable with that not everybody's taking the leave no trace and all of that sort of stuff but um that very much gives you a community to go out with um brown girls climb I can't remember if I mentioned that one but they have I mean they had color the crag which is a whole festival about like learning how to climb and being supported by other people of color, that one is not just specifically for Black people. Um, but, you know, that's another major one um, that does some fantastic work um, that I've, I've learned from them. And I don't climb, but I always learn something from them when they talk about um, climbing routes. There are a lot of them that are like um, racist, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, and so, you know, there are a couple out there that really need to be changed and they also taught me a lot about land acknowledgements and the idea that like these spaces belong to indigenous people before they were recreational spaces and how to honor those places um and really understand the land that you're um living on working on and how to be better stewards of it um black outside inc is another one primarily based i believe in the midwest um, that is really having some of these conversations, particularly with youth, about how to, you know, get outdoors. So everyone is a little bit different. Um, and so they all have have merit to me. Um, so like right now I'm learning from Jose Gonzalez and Latino Outdoors. And like it's, it's blowing my mind because I think a lot about language and accessibility um, and what it's like, you know, I don't speak Spanish. And when I do, I do a little bit of work with immigrant families together and I was using Google Translate. And that's the only way that I could um, communicate. And I want to do this with the digital magazine that I work with and like have the whole thing be in Spanish and have a person have to try to click to find that English button to try to figure out how to translate. Because we always think that like English is 
the primary and should be the primary, right? And it cuts um, participation, in my opinion, way down. Um, it doesn't give us any empathy for what it's like to be, you know, in the unknown or in something different. Um, so yeah, I'm learning from everybody. I, I am by no means like perfect um, whenever it comes to this. So, um, and some people just have resources and answers and have thought about different things, adjacent things for longer than I've had the opportunity to do that. And so I like to cite their work and support their work. And I, again, I'm not, I'm not a group person. I find them slightly overwhelming. Um, but like, those are very important for people, especially for newbies. Right. Um, and it's a gift. And so I really do feel like those people should be, those people and organizations should be supported and they definitely deserve the shout out. So before I let you go, I have to ask what is next for you? Or are you working on something that you can tell us about? So like any good freelancer, I'm working on, um, what feels like a kabillion things. Um, so I'm working on a long form piece for the new Republic, right now about uh, Bubba Wallace and NASCAR. And back in 2016, he was leaving Xfinity and would eventually um, move up to the Cup Series. And I was like the only Black woman reporter on that beat at the time at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Um, and so it's talking about sort of a lot of the racial um, issues and tensions in NASCAR, what it was like for me, what it seems to be like for him, um, and that's going to be out um, early next year. I actually just finished in Montgomery, Alabama, and I'm not sure where this piece goes yet, but I spent a couple of days in the slave warehouses um, where people, once they made their transatlantic voyage, I went to the area of the Alabama River where they um, got off of those ships and then walked to the slave warehouses where they were placed until they were walked to the center of town slash the square where they were sold. And so I've done that twice in Mobile and Montgomery and once in Savannah. Um, and so walking in those historical footsteps and talking about terror and what it means in this moment, the first time I did it was in 2018, um, what it means to do it again in 2020. And same thing for the um, Equality Justice Institute lynching memorial. I was there the day after it opened in 2018. Um, and I spent several days there to talk about terror and horror and, and unseen things. Um, and so I'm still sitting with that um, to figure out what it needs to be. Um, you have to wait for the noise to clear because you never, as a freelancer, you're always worried about being a has-been or like, oh, can I top myself or whatever. And like, you have to just like, let that go and let, this piece, just like I did with the other one, it has to be able to breathe and speak to what it's going to be. And then I'm also doing a riff on Toni Morrison's Playing in the Dark about whiteness and wilderness and the fact that there are no Black people in outdoor literature until like five to 10 years ago and what that means and sort of how how we're forced to step into someone else's footsteps, but people are not able to access ours for the most part. Um, I do a lot of book criticism for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And so like this idea of, of playing with, with language and identity and empathy is something that's been on my mind a lot. So that one may be a little bit more academic. Obviously, Bubba Wallace is probably more exciting um, to a lot of people, especially to, to sports folk. Um, but yeah, like thinking about some of the, the big things, right? 
um, and what that means, especially ahead of November. Um, I know we're all biting our fingernails. So I'm going to like finish those things, take a little bit of a break and be ready to like, you know, write it all down right before the election starts. So I am going to take a break and then I will be ready to come back swinging. That all sounds amazing. And how can our listeners find you and your work so they don't miss any of this when it comes out? So the best way I, I love Instagram for whatever reason. I love like it's, it's visual. Like it's just, yeah, I follow your baking. I'm like, yes, my girl came out with something new. Like I just, (laughs) I'm not even eating it, but it makes me so happy. But there are also some some really interesting discussions happening there. Um, So Miss M.S. Latreya Graham. So Miss and then my first and last name um, is the way to find me on Instagram. Occasionally um, I tweet, not as often. Um, It feels like talking to an empty room in some ways. And I'm not very good at that part. Um, And I'm not very funny. Like I'm not witty. I'm, I'm not quick on like the draw. Um, I two two fun things about me. I'm not very funny, and I don't know how to use a combination lock. We all have our thing, um, and so uh, I I don't tweet as as often. Um, but and then my website stays fairly frequently updated, and that's latreagram.com. So um, yeah, I'm really accessible on on all the things for the most part. I love that the way that you told me you're not funny made me laugh really hard. So I'm not sure that I believe you. But Latreya, this has been such an honor for me. I'm a huge fan of yours. Thank you so much for coming on Burn It All Down and talking about this with me. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, I have been fans of y'all's for a long time and you know this. So like this is very much, I was like, I've reached it. I've peaked. I don't know where we can go from here. Um, Oh, you're going to keep climbing. I'm not even worried about it. Yay. Thank you for the vote of confidence. And thank you again for having me.